Um, yeah, so we, this week we'll talk about building a startup as a technical person. And we have a special guest today, Carmena. And uh, Carmena and I uh, are actually colleagues, ex-colleagues. So Carmena worked with me at OLX as a senior data scientist. Then at some point he left OLX, he joined Entrepreneur First, which is, I think, uh, uh, like a startup factory, sort of, so, so to say. And now he's a co-founder and CTO at Freshflow. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Alexi. I'm glad that you could invite me here to see you again. Um, so yeah, um, great, uh, great introduction. Uh, just to get to know me a little bit better. So I started um, basically programming when I was a kid at the age of five. Um, and then I continued uh, this passion like my entire life. And uh, obviously I went to university. I think I, I felt quite, um, you know, um, fortunate that I could actually know what I wanted to do uh, in university. I know a lot of people struggle with that. Uh, I went directly to um, computer science and did computer science um, uh, bachelor in uh, University of Bologna. And did also like uh, some gigs as a freelance web developer uh, for around a year. And uh, then I published my thesis uh, also in a book, uh, which is the name of the thesis called Large Scale Social Network Analysis. It was about how to parallelize uh, social network analysis algorithms using uh, MPI. A lot of C++. I'm glad I don't have to do that again. Um, but it was really fun. If you want to check it out, it's published on Springer. Um, and then I joined my master in um, university, uh, Free University of, Bolo uh, of uh, Amsterdam, uh, which was in artificial intelligence. And then since then, I just fell in love with it and uh, continued doing data science for five years, including at OLX, at another consultancy before, and uh, at another startup before. And then after OLX, I, uh, well, during OLX, actually, I went to OLX Squared, which is the moonshot team of OLX where you can innovate as much as you want. Um, and then after that, I joined the Data Science for Social Good in the Alan Turing Institute, which is a research institution uh, in the UK uh, for data science and machine learning. Um, so mentored some students there, and we helped uh, the World Bank and uh, Ofsted, which is the Office of uh, Standards for Early Year Childcare in the UK, uh, with uh, some really exciting data analytics, uh, which maybe I can show later. And... Uh, after that, I uh, decided to join Entrepreneur First. But of course, the story doesn't, doesn't start like that, right? Uh, you just don't want to start a company from the one day to another. Yeah. So I also have a five-year... Like you, you said, you started programming as a five-year-old uh, kid and uh, my yeah. kid now is five-year-old. So maybe in another... Uh, some other time, I'll pick <laughs> your brain how to actually teach you a bit of programming. Uh, it just has to be really not excited about watching TV. That was, the, I think, that was the key. Oh, interesting. No, not yeah. the case. <laughs> Everybody's on. Okay. Um, yeah. So tell us a bit about your start startup. What do you do there? Sure. So um, as you said, I'm a co-founder of CTO of Freshflow. Uh, Freshflow is a complete ordering system for supermarkets. And what we want to solve is the enormous food waste problem that we have in the world. So, uh, and also make uh, more money for supermarkets and make more money for us. So we have this really nice triple bottom line, uh, which makes us a profitable business. Well, not yet, but we will in the future, hopefully. And also will make more money for, for the supermarkets and benefit the, the planet. So the problem that we saw 
uh, and especially um, Avik saw actually when, which is my co-founder, which when uh, he was trying to sell to supermarkets um, another solution, which was based on uh, computer vision. He saw that actually a bigger problem that they used to have and they still have is what to order exactly, especially for fresh products. So the problem with fresh products is that they have varying shelf lives um, and there's highly variable shelf lives. So even the same, I don't know, type of product like mangoes, uh, one batch could have like a, a week left or another batch could have like two days left. Um, and it is really, really hard to predict all of that and to predict how many you need at what time, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, most supermarkets, we found that uh, they still use people on the floor. So there are like so-called fresh product managers that they actually, every single day, they spend two hours looking at the shelves and looking at what they have in the back uh, to figure out what they actually have to order. And um, we, when we started our pilot, our first pilot with, uh, with Edeka uh, here, which is the largest uh, German supermarket, if oh, anyone wow. is watching. From... You have a pilot with them. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, with one, uh, one store right now, and they, we're signing with other stores uh, so that's cool. uh, in the future. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, we, we went there with did user research, which is a thing that uh, um, actually we learned at OLX Squared. It was a great experience there, uh, working with the designers from Coast. Um, and uh, we saw that the fresh product people, uh, they go there at 6 a.m. in the morning. Uh, they have a lot of like boxes to move around. Uh, and then once they move around all these boxes, uh, which takes a couple of hours, uh, they put all the things in place and then they start the ordering process for the next day. So they have to calculate what is going to be the demand, you know, the next day. They have to think about it in their head. They have to think about weather. They have to think about uh, seasonality differences. Uh, is, for example, I don't know, is there a big event in the in the town? Uh, in the specific town where we're doing the pilot, for example, there is a big like um, ramp, let's say, uh, to go to the, uh, to the supermarket. And if that ramp, for example, is full of snow, nobody will go to the supermarket. So all of these kind of things in their heads for 200 products. Mm -hmm. It's insane. It is really an incredible work. And I'm amazed, actually, that <laughs> that works at all. Uh, so they're doing a great job. But of course, you know, as uh, we are humans and we're not, we're not calculators. Uh, so basically we create an ordering system uh, that it lives in an iPad app for all they know. <laughs> lives mostly in the cloud, to be honest, uh, which uh, uses machine learning and reinforcement learning, actually, oh, wow. uh, to, to figure out the perfect order. Oh, cool. So I heard that uh, this uh, position is called fresh product manager, right? So... I yeah. know uh, product managers, what they do at Wix. So it's a different <laughs> kind of product manager, right? Absolutely. They actually, manage, actually manage, manage products, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a lot less about politics and a lot more about <laughs> what is <laughs> what, how many uh, strawberries uh, you have to order for the next Basically, day. every store in every company, uh, like every supermarket, they have this sort of position, right? So they have to wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning. They have to do go like around... Uh, look at the shelves and see okay like these mangoes are getting spoiled we need to do something about them right? yeah and, uh, they do this every day and uh, it's uh, a lot of manual work they also have to uh, 
you know, wake up early while I guess everyone is uh, at home still, like before the shop opens, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a very tough work. Uh, we were amazed that, uh, uh, you know, there were these, uh, these ladies that could do that um, at that early in the morning and also keep fresh to, you know, think about all these other factors. And uh, honestly, we were struggling with me, my co-founder, to follow them. They were so fast. Uh, it, was, it was really amazing. Really amazing. So you, was, you were just sitting with them, watching how they work, and then trying to replicate that? Uh, yeah, we were shadowing them uh, for a couple of days. So we went there for a week. Um, this is actually how we work in general. It's called design thinking. So uh, we do a few steps that you see in the design thinking uh, methodologies. There are many design thinking methodologies. Uh, so uh, we follow usually from my experience with the OLX squared and with uh, the book uh, Design Thinking by Curedale. Highly recommended, by the way. Uh, and it also it's very much appreciated uh, by our clients that we do that because um, we are able to really figure out what are the processes, how things go on in the store, and then deliver the solution that they actually need instead of that we think they need, mm -hmm. which is a big learning that I had from, from that experience in OLX squared. Um, and also to be honest, from, from EF, uh, they also push another book, which is really interesting, which I also recommend It's called the mom test. I would say it's a much lighter version of design thinking. Um, and, uh, it's mostly to uh, gather towards, um, you know, entrepreneurs and to do how to do sales calls and stuff like that. Uh, but it does help you figure out what to ask. And you want to ask things that actually make the user tell you uh, all their processes and not tell you the solution that they want. Uh, because between what they want and what they need, there's always like a bit of a difference, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. And uh, I don't think you just woke up one day and realized, okay, there is this problem. Uh, let's just, you know, uh, leave for Elix and uh, solve it, right? So there probably something happened like... Uh, term Curious, how did you actually come uh, up with this idea? Um, what mm -hmm. did the process look like? Yeah, it was uh, very interesting. So I joined Entrepreneur First because I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to have a startup. Uh, this was a desire that I had since I was in my bachelor. But you I never really know, thought. Right? You didn't yeah. know what exactly you'll do, right? Yeah, exactly. There's, there were a few ideas that I had. Um, but I didn't, I, I tried to like um, have some people and try to ideate with some people and maybe come up with some, some uh, I don't know, ideas for a startup and stuff. But um, in the end, it didn't really materialize. Um, shout out to Shander as well. <laughs> and uh, the, the problem is that you're always so busy. So uh, we were trying during, you know, also having a job at the same time and, um, uh, it was it was really hard. Um, you need to really dedicate your life to it and to find like what is a what is a good idea unless you have a good idea already. Uh, and also like to find a co-founder is really hard. That also has the same amount of time and the same like life circumstances. Um, and so, in the end, uh, when I received the call from Entrepreneur First, I didn't know about them. And this was around February when I was in OLX Squared in February, twenty twenty. Um, and, uh, I was already, um, I already, uh, got the position at the Entering Institute at the time. So I was, uh, really keen on like first doing these two things because they were so cool. 
and they told me that actually uh, the other cohort uh, would start in September. And that would be exactly in line with, uh, with the rest of my timeline. So I thought, eh, that's perfect. Fine. Um, so I reapplied uh, then for the September cohort, uh, got in. And um, yeah, I had like an amazing time, to be honest. Um, so in Entrepreneur First is really interesting because they, so the tagline is the word um, leader talent investor. Um, so they, they call themselves talent investor because essentially they take you in because you don't have you have the potential to be a co-founder because of your career path. What you did in the past is quite interesting. The, uh, the growth that you have is pretty uh, big uh, or you, I don't know, know something very specific that nobody else knows in the world. And um, uh, they basically take a bunch of people like that in the same like space. Uh, they give you a bunch of talks on how to do sales, how to do uh, marketing, how to... This, uh, like, this is something that uh, technical people like you, like me, we usually don't know these things, right? Mm -hmm. We don't yeah. know how to... Uh, like marketing is... Uh, I have no idea like what marketing people do. Right? So it's <laughs> really nice of them that they uh, also teach you um, these things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they have like They have experts that uh, they are either called in or they are already in Entrepreneur First. Um, for example, for sales, uh, like guys that exited companies for many, many times, there are venture partners there uh, because essentially it's a, ultimately it's a kind of venture capital um, for pre-seed companies, but they operate quite differently. And uh, so they have uh, these venture partners that are very experienced and they will talk about these, these topics. Uh, absolutely recommended. Uh, there were even talks by um, ben Evans, for example, which is one of the uh, best um, people in the VC space, uh, used to be uh, at uh, Andreessen Horowitz as well. Mm -hmm. He's now a global venture partner there uh, and many other people that are perhaps less known, but uh, really, really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, so they, they put you through this training, right? Yeah. But I guess that's not the only thing they do, right? No, 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 of course. Uh, well, they... <laughs> Um, they assist you with like some sort of um, framework on how to find a co-founder. Mm -hmm. So first of all, you go there and you kind of know if you're a CTO type or a CEO type, even though like there may be some uh, exception, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, so usually, um, you know, if, you're, if you have a technical background, you're a CTO type. If you have a more business-minded background or a domain edge, what they call it, uh, you're a CEO type. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, they have the scientist maybe would be a CTO and product manager would be a CEO roughly. Yeah, right? roughly, As absolutely. Um, it could also change, mm -hmm. um, but uh, let's see. Let's go there later. So the idea is that they have so-called edges, and uh, you fit in one or two edges. Um, so the edges that uh, EF has are um, catalyst edge, uh, domain edge and technical edge. And so uh, catalyst edge, they're actually further defined as catalyst doers and catalyst talkers. So the catalyst doers are the ones that are very energetic. Uh, they can make basically almost anything. Uh, they don't have like a specific technical edge that is so sharp that only like 10 people in the world have, uh, but they're more widespread, like data science, for example, would be full stack person, right? Full stack person. Uh, us, for example, we, we're catalyst doers for, for EF. Oh. 
Um, and uh, catalyst talkers are like, you know, flexible business people, essentially, right? So they're kind of, kind of the same thing, but on the business side. Uh, and then there are domain edges. And domain edges are basically people that have very, very specific in-depth knowledge of a specific domain. Um, so for example, one of my, uh, let's say co-founders. So at the time we were starting uh, a company with him, uh, in, with EF, um, he had deep expertise in the pharma space. So he worked, he was a general manager at, uh, Definience, which then got acquired by AstraZeneca. Uh, and then he worked there for like 20 years, uh, absolute master about, um, you know, computer vision in pharma. And that's a definite domain edge. And then tech edges are people that uh, have very, very specific skills in uh, something, uh, in some tech. Uh, so for example, there was a guy that did his PhD thesis on 3D printing uh, human hearts. Like, oh, I, I don't know that many specific. people that do that. <laughs> that's as specific as it can get, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, shout out to Martin uh, and, and Javier. And uh, yeah, um, they give you this framework in order to start the conversation with the other people. Mm -hmm. So then if you are, let's say a domain edge, you would definitely talk about your domain. Um, if you're a tech edge, you definitely talk about that specific uh, thing. If you're a catalyst, it's a bit more fluffy. You talk about what you're most uh, expert at and um, see what are the Inter, interweaving uh, threads that you can find with the other people. Uh, and yeah, they're very interesting conversations. So it, it's really like one of the best times ever. Um, you can talk about crazy things from one day to another. You can have like 10 conversations in one day where they span between, uh, I don't know, like how to solve the climate issue uh, to, I don't know, how to make... Uh, a specific dashboard for fintech uh, companies you know there could be anything in between and so you also go with your own gut feeling trying to see who you think you will fit with um and uh, what kind of like what kind of ideas are you most drawn to and then of course you bring your own ideas uh and you see you test them a little bit and then they have mentors uh which every single week they have a call with you so there are two mentors actually one is the Let's call it a relationship mentor. So you can ask about, hey, what, what, what can I, how can I approach people and between that or, uh, I don't know, like um, my current co-founder, I don't know, there's something wrong with our relationship, how can we fix it? Uh, and um, then the other mentor, which you get only if you have a team, um, it's, uh, it's a quite experienced usually in the startup space. Um, and it will tell you a lot about like uh, what are you doing good or what are you doing wrong in terms of like uh, market sizing, uh, figuring out if the idea has any chance of, of working essentially. Uh, and they give you a score also every single week, which is between one and four, um, which tells you more or less like how they think you're going to do at the final examination, uh, which is called uh, investment committee which is in uh, January. So this entire thing starts in September. In January, then uh, you are, you're in the investment committee. And actually, I should say, this is divided in a few phases. So the first phase is called the form phase, which is, I think, eight weeks. 
And uh, the forum phase is the phase where you try to find your co-founder. And then after the forum phase, you just have to say, this is my co-founder. And then you can pass through the uh, company building phase. And then the company building phase, basically you have to prepare all the material that you need for the investment committee. And the investment committee is a bunch of venture partners from from EF. And we had actually Benedict Evans uh, in our committee uh, amongst others. Uh, so it, it was a bit uh, intimidating, <laughs> but it was very, very helpful and very, uh, very useful for us also in the future. So and they, fortunately, we passed. So. <laughs> yeah. So they decide basically if they want to invest or not, right? That's the final exactly. examination. That's the final examination. Yeah. Okay. And if they want to invest, they, you know, you get money. If they don't, yeah. uh, then, then you... bye bye. <laughs> but I guess some people still try to pursue their idea, right? Just that's true. To find other way to. Uh, to like find other investors right? yeah yeah um so some other people that didn't get investments they got uh, other grants or they were incubated in other incubators uh or they went for competitors of EF like antler mm-hmm. um so in the end you know if you want if you want it you can do it uh-huh. that's uh that's a big lesson, actually. You you mentioned that your co-founder has experience in uh, pharma, right? Uh, did they that was my previous uh, co-founder. So uh-huh. we, I had a few teams in EF. Um, um, and uh, my current co-founder, which is, I should say, the co-founder, uh, because it's my co-founder, uh, and it was not just a team uh, in EF, uh, is actually a machine learning scientist also. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar background. Um, much younger. He's 26. Uh, he just graduated from uh, ETH Zurich, and uh, he was actually quite active in the uh, entrepreneur space. So he founded, I think this is now his third company, oh. which is quite insane at 26. So yes, <laughs> shout out to Avik. Uh, I don't know what awesome. is more insane is programming at five or... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. I hope that uh, all of these credentials will come up <laughs> in uh, <laughs> in our product. Um, so, yeah, he's uh, he's also very impressive in that sense. Um, and um, it, he founded a company in um, uh, motion analysis, uh, then another one in uh, cryptocurrency in China, actually, while he was studying, and now Freshflow as well. And he's the CEO. So he's handling the business uh, side. Uh, and we decided like that just because uh, I, I think uh, it fits more with what our, our backgrounds are. So like um, I have uh, longer uh, technical experience and he has longer entrepreneurial experience. So I think it's just, uh, it just works. And it's great to have a technical co-founder. So we were kind of also the exception. That's why I said spoiler alert before. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I see already we have quite a few questions in live chat. And uh, mm-hmm. I am wondering, so one question from Mehdi is... Uh, how, when, and why this idea of your business come to your mind? Because from what I understood mm-hmm. about your co-founder, he's also not uh, like he doesn't strike me like as a person who spent his life in uh, you know overseeing a supermarket, right? Mm-hmm. So how did you actually get this idea? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, as I said before, he was developing this um, um, computer vision product recognition uh, thing. Um, during his thesis and um, he basically started to sell it to different supermarkets. He started to have calls with different supermarkets being entrepreneurially minded as he is. Right. Uh, And uh, during these calls, uh, he realized that actually there is a lot of, there are a lot of problems 
also in how these supermarkets order food. Mm-hmm. Right. So there was already something in his mind. Then uh, at the same time, like when I broke up with uh, the uh, my team, so the the pharma um, guy, he also broke up with his uh, uh, teammate at the time, which was also in healthcare, by the way. Um, and uh, we found each other at basically the last week before the closing of the of the program of the forum phase, and we really wanted to have a startup, like absolutely. 100%. There was no question uh, in my mind that I was not going to go out with a startup out of that. And uh, we were friends from the beginning with Avik. Uh, so we were always having beers. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the thing that we were also trying to ideate with other people, obviously, because you want to stick to what the EF people say, you know, try to find a business, uh, like a business person that started from business, uh, right? So we were talking with a couple of people, but we found that you know, we were actually ideating much faster between each other. And so we started ideating about like uh, product recognition, uh, if we could use perhaps what is done in his thesis. Uh, and we started uh, thinking about, uh, oh, can we do something uh, for pricing, for example? Right. So we can recognize uh, what these products, if these products are going bad. Like I was thinking also in a, um, let's say social good sense uh, a little bit because it's kind of dear to my heart to do something for the for climate change uh, that was a big topic also between my projects in enf and uh, in the end we 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 started to see that uh, there are a lot of problems with uh, shelf life um, with estimating shelf lives and 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 keeping track of what is going bad etc cetera, etc cetera. So we started ideating in that sense. Can we do something with uh, computer vision that looks at fresh products and um, you know tells you know the people that are buying the fresh products um, are these going bad? And we started ideating on that, and we thought, oh, maybe we can do an app uh, that can do that. And uh, on we we went actually to so-called super check-in, which is like a mini IC, a mini investment committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that idea, which is basically a, um, an app that um, you can use as a consumer and you can go in the store with, uh, and then you would take a photo of like um, a fresh product or like a, pro- a packaged product. You will take a photo of the barcode or something and the and the um, expiry- expiration date. I mean, instead of fresh products, we will do the analysis of the ripeness in, in the app using computer vision. Uh, and then it will give you a discount that then you can apply at checkout. Mm-hmm. Didn't fly very well with the investment committee, to be honest. So <laughs> we went back to the drawing board and we honestly, we learned from that. We learned that um, it was, first of all, it was really hard for people to get another app just to get some discounts, even though there are discounts, sometimes it's not enough. Um, and then we learned that um yeah, it's not that easy actually to figure out the shelf life of fresh products just using computer vision. Um, so we we pivoted uh, and uh, we started like thinking. And while thinking, he realized, oh wait, I remember this conversation that I had with these uh, these people, and I remember that actually uh, waste and stockouts are a huge problem. And we kind of wanted to avoid all of that because both, let's say, our edges. Are definitely in computer vision. Like we we, we did a lot of computer vision, um, but we uh, we we saw that uh, this could actually be a much bigger problem. 
Um, and when we started looking at the numbers and then we started looking about the numbers about food waste and it's completely mind boggling. Um, just to give you uh, like an idea. So food waste uh, is actually accounting for six times more carbon emissions per year than the entire aviation industry. Oh, that's, uh, that's a lot, right? It's insane. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, I cannot believe this. This is crazy. Yeah, this is uh, very crazy. Yeah, and uh, we're wasting like $1.7 trillion per year mm. in food. Like food that gets never sold, basically. Mm. But someone has to buy it, right? The supermarkets have to buy it. Uh, and supermarkets, out of all food waste, contribute to 10% of that. So if we can contribute to 10% of uh, six times the aviation industry, we're almost like <laughs> fixing the aviation industry right there. So that would be fantastic. Um, and um, so we, we got really, really excited. And then we saw that also there are some uh, exceptional companies in the US that are doing something similar to us. Um, some of them are Shelf Engine and Afresh and uh, they are, uh, they're doing really well. Uh, and. Um, we really, really appreciate what they're doing, and we just wanted to follow suit and uh, start our own company as Freshflow here. Mm, nice. Um, a question from Manika, and I'm also wondering uh, how important it is to go through a startup accelerator in this case? Would you be able to do this without entrepreneur first, or no way? No. <laughs> Simple as that. Uh, to I think to have the kind of connections that entrepreneur first gives you. Um, you need to be extremely lucky. Um, maybe go to a very specific place um, in life. Uh, like, for example, I think in Avic's case, uh, ATH helped a lot because they have an entrepreneur uh, kind of club. And so if you're already interested in that, you join the club and you see like a lot of people that have ideas, professors that can help, et cetera, et cetera. People that actually create their startups uh, during university time. If you're in the Ivy League, of course, there are a lot of people that also uh, in this university, they, they start startups. But, uh, you know, from Free University of Amsterdam, there was no such thing. Uh, and from uh, University of Amsterdam, uh, sorry, Uni University of Bologna, uh, I didn't find uh, anything like that. Um, and I didn't look around on my brief time at University of Amsterdam. So, like, I didn't have these kind of possibilities. So that really changes the game completely. Like, uh, I have a lot of friends now from Entrepreneur First just because we vibe so much together. It's like we're also ambitious and creative and kind of risk-taking. So, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely you need, you need the kind of right so environment. So it's about uh, building connections. It's about networking, right? So if yeah. you have already a strong network from your university or maybe I know, I'm, I know that in Berlin, for example, there are uh, startup uh, meetups, for example, or founder dating meetups. So if you're in this area, maybe it's possible right, to build this network, but uh, Entrepreneur First helps you to, to do that. Yeah. And I would say it's still hard, uh, even though you would have the network, then you need to find a co-founder that mm -hmm. is really jiving with you. And uh, you need to have the time to also think about uh, the, the idea and really develop it and kind of try to do it as quickly as possible. Uh, that's always the conundrum of, of being in a startup. You want to always be one step ahead than you are. And so that requires a lot of time. So, um, yeah, I would say without Entrepreneur First would have been really, really hard. So how did you find your first client? So get, like running a pilot with Edeka, I think it's awesome. So is it yeah. your first client? 
Yeah, uh, well, technically, we had also another client, uh, which came from uh, uh, Avic's previous dwellings in uh, in the supermarket space. So this other client is actually Volk, which is the third largest supermarket chain in uh, in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Volk, we tried like um, a slightly different product. So uh, from Volk, though, uh, we did like a pilot, and it all went well. Uh, but for the let's say, uh, the, the first client in Germany, um, which is Edeka, we actually entered through the Edeka Foodtech campus, which is a startup accelerator by Edeka, um, where they also give you mentorship and they try to connect you to the right uh, Edeka stores that are perhaps more open-minded to new things. Uh, and um, yeah, after explaining our idea, they, we got in, uh, really nice people at the Foodtech campus, they connected to the right uh, to the right people in uh, in Edeka, and uh, we refined our idea and we refined our product, and then we started working with uh, with Edeka Pesios. Was it uh, before you graduated uh, entrepreneur first or after? After, after, after. Okay. Yeah. So you don't need to get a client to graduate, right? Mm, well, it would be beneficial, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but they bet on us. First of all, we we formed at the last week of form, so we had only like three weeks, uh, four, four weeks to really like uh, get all of the narrative together, get the, slide, the pitch deck, uh, get the, all, of, all of the things together, um, all of the possibilities for the future, the business model, blah, blah, blah. So quite a lot of work in a short amount of time. Uh, and then after that, yeah, you start with, uh, with really building. But, and also we started building the, the algorithms and stuff at the same time. So it was quite busy anyway. Uh, but yeah, other startups, uh, they also may need to show that they have some traction early on. We already had some traction at the time, actually. Uh, now that I remember, uh, we had quite a few leads uh, with uh, other supermarket chains in uh, Italy and in Germany, uh, which in the end, it didn't, uh, didn't go through. But uh, yeah, we had actually like around four or five leads. So yeah, there needs to be some traction for sure. So how much time... Uh... Like, bef- like between the time you came up an idea and the time you secured your first client, so how much time uh, was that? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, the supermarket space is not that fast, <laughs> so the sales cycle is quite long. Um, so we got um, we got ultimately uh, our contract signed and all with uh, with our first Erika store in April, um, and we graduated from EF in um, in uh, January. Mm-hmm. yeah so, but we're officially like registered as a company and all from april as well it just okay also takes time to do that okay. there are a lot of paperwork here in germany, in germany right? yeah and yeah i also prepared a question about investors um i guess you answered that so entrepreneur first acts as an investor there are there is a board and then they decide whether they should invest or that's not. right mm-hmm. is it the only investor you have uh i uh, um, Ish. <laughs> the, <laughs> so there are, th- there are things that we will announce later, but uh, yeah. at the moment, officially, there is only them. Yeah, uh, there is. We're lining up actually angel investors at the moment, and we have uh, an amazing guy as an angel investor, which we would love to announce, but mm-hmm. it's in the works. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't have to announce, but maybe you can tell us about the process. Like, how do you actually do this? so? with entrepreneur first okay they have this committee that decide 
if they invest or not. But once you graduated, once you don't have the support from EF, how do you go about finding an investor? Right. Uh, actually, EF uh, gives you a fundraising manager after you graduate. Cool. Um, and um, they help you a lot with like how to structure the narrative, uh, how to find the investors and stuff. They also give you a platform called Demo Day, uh, which is basically like a, well, in Corona times, it's just like a web page with some YouTube videos. But it used to be that you go to a theater and there are 100 investors invited. And then they will basically like talk to you after the, um, the, the talk that you give, the pitch. Um, we decided to not go for Demo Day, uh, interestingly, because we found that um, in our specific case, um, you know, we need to be proven with the numbers and the uh, measures that we get from the pilots themselves in order to gain traction since it's such a slow industry and it's such a core competency of the supermarkets. So very hard actually to sell um, because imagine you're, you're substituting a really like core part of the entire ordering system or of the, of the entire of what the supermarket does. If you think about it, a supermarket is you get stuff in and you get stuff out and you have to present them well. Okay, so we fix the get stuff in <laughs> and then they have to think about present them well and get stuff out, right? So pretty hard to sell. Okay. Yeah, so... And we want to raise on our terms later. That's also why. <laughs> but By having the... more traction, yeah. So if you didn't go through this demo day, like are there, like what kind of places where people can look for investors? Like are there meetups or... Right. Um, well, investors approach you actually uh, ah, usually. Okay. Uh, How do you do? They find you? Like, do you just post on LinkedIn? Hey, I'm looking for investors. Or <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, just the, by the fact that you have co-founder in the name, uh -huh. uh, they 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 search for you. Um, ah, okay. In LinkedIn, and also I believe they may have some bots from the Andels register. Mm -hmm. um, so the the register of companies in Germany, they may actually get scraped by them and they know of all the companies. So they probably have a bunch of analysts in the VC uh, firm and they go through all these companies, they look it up, they see what they're doing. If they, they think it's good enough, they will definitely shoot an email. So not that hard to find any investor. To find the good investors, it's up to you. So you, um, there are certain investors that um, you, know, you want to have uh, in your board because they have specific expertise, right? So, so for example, investors that usually are in the food tech industry are great for us. Um, and um, other investors that are like high profile, they usually like less um, hands-on, more like, um, you know, they, they care rather than they try to control. So um, these kind of investors, yeah, you need to do a little bit of the work yourself perhaps sometimes and try to try to approach them and stuff mm -hmm. yeah i'm curious so you said like there are investors and there are good investors so what could be the consequences of going with a bad investor well um you may get like a bad term sheet uh where basically um they take a lot of your equity uh for not so much money uh you um you may get, uh, I don't know, some other little caveats in the term sheet uh, that you may not like. Uh, you may get like uh, people in the board that perhaps are uh, trying to control too much. 
uh, of your company. Um, and there's not so much a culture of trust, but it's rather a culture of like, uh, hey, we give you the money, like we want the money back immediately, kind mm -hmm. of like try to grow as fast as possible, blah, blah, blah which is going to be, you know, it is pretty common with investors that they want to do that. I mean, it's their job ultimately, but there's some of them, they do it in a more kind of um, empathetic, nurturing um, uh, way that is more enjoyable for everybody. Uh, and some of them, they might do it in a more predatorial way. But I've, we, we uh, at the moment, we don't have uh, anybody in the board because mm -hmm. EF gave us a convertible note. So uh, it's very, it's very chill and very quiet. Maybe uh, Avic actually, if he was my co-founder, uh, would have more insights into this question, actually. Okay. Yeah, I uh, understand. And uh, I'm curious, what, uh, so you have pretty similar profiles, even though it's more entrepreneurial, uh, but at the end, you're both kind of engineers, right? you yeah. both coders. So how do you split? Uh, so first of all, what do you do? Mm -hmm. uh, what does he do? And how do you split these responsibilities? Yeah, um, good question. So... Of course, at first we wanted to do everything together, uh, but then we decided that actually that was not gonna like really help uh, that much because then you have to synchronize ideas on every single little thing. So, and, and I don't think the productivity gains are very much higher. But it's good at first, I think, to think about the major, the major things together and to continue to do that all the time. And then we continue to do that every day. Um, but uh, of course, right now I'm fully the CTO, so I do uh, all of the tech, uh, almost all of the tech. I didn't do the mobile app, um, <laughs> and um, he uh, is doing all of the sales and business development. Mm -hmm. So all the outreach to possible clients, uh, talking to them, talking to investors, making the pitch deck, uh, and I do all of the uh, pipelines and the uh, code and. Uh, uh, data mangling and the dashboards and uh, connections to the app and the machine learning algorithms and the experiments. They're all the engineering stuff, right? All the engineering stuff, yeah. yeah. Do you have other people in the company now? Yeah, we, we do. So uh, we have a mobile developer. Ah, the freelancer, one who created the, the app, right? The one who created the app. Uh, amazing guy. Uh, fantastic. Um, unfortunately, the the contract for the freelancer ended, but uh, we hope that maybe in the future we can uh, we can come back and work together. Um, and um, yeah, he, he is um, yeah he did an amazing job. Uh, we uh, uh, also have a working student, uh, which is from University of Mannheim. Um, he's uh, also in uh, in the business side, mm -hmm. and he helps Avic with that. Yeah, but we're gonna start hiring actually more people soon. Mm -hmm. um, so since uh, maybe this topic is already on your mind about hiring, mm -hmm. right? how how do you decide who to to hire first? So you needed an app, so you hired a freelancer who did right. the app, and then uh, you know he went on for working for another gig. But mm -hmm. for a permanent employee, how do you decide who to hire first? That's a good question. So. Um... I would say it's the same thing uh, for the app or like the, the permanent person. Um, the, it's very simple, uh, it feels like. Like when you are in the, in the job, you kind of know what you need, right? Uh, but I think the, the, a good principle to think about is like, don't necessarily try to do everything yourself if you're not an expert in it. So like feel compelled to uh, actually ask for help and ask for help in this case means hiring someone 
So uh, at first I thought, oh, maybe I can also like pick up Flutter and do the app and blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But then honestly, like by thinking about it, it would have pushed us, you know, several months uh, back just because I would need to like learn a new language, uh, then code the app in that language, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I would probably do a worse job than what Jeremiah did. So like Jeremiah is the amazing mobile developer. Um, and yeah, in the end, it doesn't, doesn't really make sense. Uh, we had the investment uh, already, so why not use it and uh, spare my time to do something that I can do much better. So basically as a founder, as a co-founder, one of the things you need to uh, do is uh, know how to delegate, right? And know how to let things go, like not try to do things yourself. I am pretty sure you would do an app, but it would just take more time, right? Exactly. Yeah. So um, asking for help uh, is a great thing. Uh, it's. Uh, I know that uh, if, especially if you're entrepreneurially minded, you want to be the one doing all of it, but it's not shameful at all, uh, and it actually. It is quite pretty appreciated by the clients because they see the product faster, by the investors because they see their money back faster, <laughs> by basically everybody. And uh, I don't know if this is a problem you had, uh, you have had or not, but I imagine that uh, you as a startup, um, when you need to hire people, maybe the package you can offer to candidates is less attractive than you know big well-established companies such as Zalando or Amazon or I don't know or Leaks for example yeah. so uh, how do you manage to make this uh, offer package uh, attractive have you thought about this already like how do you yeah. attract people to work at startup uh, we hired internationally so we we were not afraid to go into different countries um, and um, fortunately in, in the end uh our mobile dev uh, basically joined because he just loves the technology and he wanted to do something in uh, in that technology he, because he used to do it in his free time. Uh, and uh, he, um, he felt like, you know, he can at least have some money out of it. Um, and so I think this is a very special case of an extremely passionate person who really wanted to bring something to the world and maybe, you know, have also some fun and some money. Um, in that in flutter specifically but um i would say for in in general like uh, our offer was attractive because for example we will pay the same rate in all parts of the world mm -hmm. so um so for example for an indian developer that would be like an amazing salary mm -hmm. okay so maybe for somebody from berlin it will be like an cash one but if they go to a bigger company maybe they would offer more but for somebody from uh, like uh, where the average salary is not as uh, like lower than in Germany, then for them it's a bit. Yeah, I think COVID opened this amazing possibility of remote working uh, to everybody. Just we just opened our eyes and we were like, oh, right, we can do this. So uh, we just kind of took advantage of of that fact. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So, what are your plans for the future? Great question. Uh, more clients, more product, uh, more shipping, more launches. Uh, more money, more investors, more <laughs> more hires, <laughs> uh, bigger clients, <laughs> uh, and grow from there. Yeah, and this is kind of uh, this is an of course uh, of course the plan. But I'd say um, we want to in the longer term future uh, be kind of the um, the grocery food retailer OS. 
where it's a one-stop shop for all of their uh, logistics and supply chain needs. And we want to also go um, in uh, the other steps in the chain. So go up to the distribution centers, the fulfillment centers, the uh, perhaps sometimes even go beyond that and go as much as possible towards even the farmers and the um, the uh, the people with the um, the grow the cows and uh, the pigs and stuff. Um, because there is so much that can be done at all these levels to uh, predict what uh, kind of food needs to be on the on the shelves ultimately of the supermarkets, and uh, we feel like we can have so much impact by having one solution that would actually kind of enable what is the uh, just-in-time supply chain of Toyota, right? So, like when, for example, uh, there is a uh, you know, I need a banana right now because I'm hungry. Uh, then my system will know, oh, Carmine, it's okay, it's Friday, it's 6 p.m. Uh, you know, you just had a long day, uh, wants a banana. So then uh, preemptively would actually predict all of that months in advance. And the farmer will be like, okay, I need to produce this many bananas. <laughs> I think Amazon is doing that already. I think I, I sometimes feel like Amazon can read my mind because I ran out <laughs> of shampoo recently. I went to, to buy and then on the first page, it was already recommending me shampoo. Ah, interesting. Yeah. But see, the, the that's another side, which is the recommendation side, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, yeah quite similar actually to forecasting. So th- there's a lot of things that I learned, you know, like that uh, come back uh, uh, here in this work. Um, but yeah, it would be much more towards forecasting. Mm-hmm specifically um and with the just-in-time supply chain uh what you have is a lot less inventory space uh so that means also like less needs for huge warehouses less need for um transportation so also trucking and all of that uh actually spends a lot of you know they burn a lot of uh, fossil fuels uh, not great for the environment Mm -hmm. so it's not just the problem of like you know the rotten food that has co2 that gets released to the planet there is a lot going on actually in the supply chain that can be fixed by having uh, by ordering the exact amount. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the exact amount is really, really hard because if you order too much, you're producing just waste. Yeah. And the retailers try to do that because they don't like uh, to have their shelves empty. Mm-hmm. That's really bad. That means that they're losing customers. Uh, you know, the customers will go to another store if their shelves are empty. And with fresh products specifically you have all of them in boxes right so if you have let's say the last bananas or the last two bananas it's basically like the shelf is empty because Mm -hmm. the last two bananas nobody (laughs) picks them up (laughs) yeah i know (laughs) i wouldn't (laughs) exactly you think something is wrong with them exactly (laughs) exactly so um given consumer behavior and um, these other factors they need to keep stocking the shelves um, but then it's really, really hard to stock them exactly that they look kind of full even at the end of the day, but yet in the back room, there is nothing. Mm-hmm. And what we found is that that's not the case, obviously, because it's really, really tough. So we try to, to fix that problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Would you do anything differently now? Like if you were starting again? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, <laughs> I would not use open source infrastructure. I would directly use GCP. That was <laughs> uh, we switched from um, from an open source uh, MLOps uh, 
infrastructure that you may know what it is. It's called Kubeflow. <laughs> it was uh, giving us, it, it was fantastic when it worked, uh, to be honest. But then we, uh, we uh, upgraded to, I think, 1.3 and it started breaking in different ways. And 1.2 also gave us a lot of troubles um, with, um, with the installation and stuff. And I, I spent, I think, like just one month or one and a half months just, just taking care of Kubeflow. Uh, <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> which I think for a startup is not a great idea. Uh, so at the end, I just said, okay, fine. We're in GCP. We use the GCP stuff. And uh, so glad that we went for GCP also. Uh, much better interfaces and, uh, and software that we're used to in, uh, in AWS. Uh, we're using BigQuery, uh, Cloud Run, Cloud Functions, Event Arc. It's an event-driven architecture, so everything that comes in gets pushed around in these pipelines. Uh, we use Firestore for the uh, for the app API, which is lightning fast. Uh, it, it's beautiful, uh, and it just works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess uh, one advice that you would uh, one piece uh, you would give to um, somebody who is starting a startup: so go with a managed solution, right? For yeah, go with a managed solution instead of a, instead of a. Uh, open source solution, at least at first, mm -hmm. okay? And um, the good thing is that for a startup, uh, the, uh, the folks at Google and the folks at AWS, if you are in an if, if you're invested by an accredited investor of them, um, they will actually give you some credits. Mm -hmm. uh, so we received 100K uh, in credits uh, from Google. Uh, so that, that means that we can, we can, you know, use their most expensive solutions uh, and, and yet not like sleep well at night. <laughs> so. Okay. Yeah. So basically they bet on you that, uh, you know, you will grow. That's why they invest uh, 100K in their services. That's, that's very nice of them. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end, if you really like their services, uh, you will, you yeah. will continue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this, this is, I think one of the, Mm -hmm. things that in the tech space yeah we could have done differently do you have any other advice for people who would like to start building a startup now mm, wow um where do we start um <laughs> i would say that uh it's it's gonna be okay everybody says the same uh that it's gonna be hard and you're gonna have tough times uh and it is true <laughs> and just be prepared and uh, be just uh, very, um, yeah, emotionally uh, intelligent that, uh, um, you know, sometimes let's say a sales call doesn't go well. Uh, it may not be you, okay? So it's not, don't, it's, not person, it's not a personal thing. It is rather like perhaps that uh, you could, um, I don't know, not talk about the specifics of your solution. There's no need sometimes. You can say it's just IP. Uh, there is uh, perhaps like a, a, another concern that you cannot address at the moment because you're just too small and you don't know certain things, right? So uh, the, the struggle at first is basically a mismatch between the fact that you want to have the best clients in order to have the best contracts, in order to have the best uh, investors, in order to be able to hire the best people, et cetera, et cetera, but you're not there yet. And so you're always like, trying to get to that point and it is really really hard to cope with all that load that you put on yourself uh, so be mindful of that and um, I would say uh, find a co-founder that is 
on the same page as you uh, that you can communicate really well with. Uh, and not necessarily, um, you know, it doesn't have to be the best salesperson in the world if he's on the business side, or it doesn't have to be the best um, technical person in the world, although it kind of helps, but uh, it only helps up to a certain percentage. Um, so there was actually like a presentation that my girlfriend did. She's a recruiter uh, that says that uh, you should hire, at least in the behavioral interview, you should hire for um, 10% skills, uh, at least, temp- uh, okay. So the framework is uh, how much uh, skills and um, competency, so like behaviors and how much um motivation actually plays out in uh, the uh, final performance of employees. So skills is about 10 to 20%. And then the rest is motivation and behavior. So like try to get people, try to hire people for motivation and behavior. Uh, And if you get motivation, behavior, skills, you're just golden. Mm -hmm. Uh, But with your co-founder, you're going to speak every day. And if he's motivated enough, he's going to figure it out. (laughs) He's uh, if his behavior is great, also, he's going to figure it out. So that's another advice. Try to get these kind of people. Don't fix too much on skills. Yeah, thanks. Do you have like five, 10 more minutes? Sure. I realize we have a lot of questions. And, uh, sure, happy to. Try, yeah. uh, some of them. So the first question is about books that you mentioned. I think it was design thinking and the mom tests, right? That's right. Uh, I'll just put them in the description after we finish the talk. Mm-hmm. Um, then the second question from Ali is about how do you get uh, continuous motivation to to do this stuff uh, coming from you know, a software engineering kind of background? Uh, how do you do this, I guess, in a startup when things don't work as well? You said you, you need to think about like, maybe it's not you, right? It's them. But like, how do you get this continuous motivation? How do you manage it's, to keep doing this? It's kind of in you. Uh, so I don't know if there is a way to get motivation. Uh, like for me, for example, I, I really care about uh, like climate change and the food waste problem. Uh, it seems to be the kind of the underdog of the climate change spectrum of problems, right? It's, it's actually right there. It's in front of us. Uh, and it is massive. Like, again, like that's six times uh, the number of uh, uh, CO2 emissions, then the aviation industry is a massive number. If you think about it differently, it is, if you uh, think about food waste as a country in terms of carbon emission, it will be the third country in the world. Uh, so after US and China, there will be food waste. And then there will be India with half of the carbon emission of food waste, which is, uh, it, it, that's, in, that's just insane. It seems like we have to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems like also the opportunity space is, is pretty big. Like the food retail industry is, um, is now just now like in this process of digitalization and the opportunity for, you know, companies like ours is just, is just great. Um, and then, yeah, you work with the right people and I guess that that's what you need, but I guess motivation comes from the inside of what you care about. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. So there is a question from Isaac. Is uh, I'm 30 years old. I want to be a CTO in a startup, uh, launching my own with a CEO, I guess, very similar to what he did. So his main focus is machine learning, and he knows little about uh, front-end development, DevOps, and uh, 
all these things. So the question is, do you think it's enough to start a ZTO or, or not? Um, it, it, could be, it could be getting tough sometimes, I guess. Um, uh, but honestly, if you use like a managed solution and you can spend some time like figuring out like new concepts, um, I don't think it's a problem that you have only like the machine learning background. Again, like what I said before, the framework that they used in uh, my, my girlfriend's company, 10% uh, to 20% skill, 50% uh, motivation, and then the rest is uh, behavior. Do you think um, he should learn something now before becoming a founder? Or uh, Yeah, sure. Yeah, much better now because then you have uh, pressures from investors, from clients, from your co-founder, from your uh, hires. So like, please start as soon as possible. But then you will never start. Like you will always think, okay, I'm not ready yet. I need to learn this thing. Like there is uh, this new framework that yeah. you need to learn. And there is this new book that everyone says it's good. And then yeah. like, how do you know that you're ready? Uh, you don't, <laughs> but uh, it, you will always will never feel ready to be honest. Like even uh, honestly, I have more than ten years of experience in software engineering, and yet, like, I don't, I didn't think I was ready for a startup until I joined the F, and I was like, wait a second, I'm actually not that bad. <laughs> I can actually do this. So, uh, like, you can also just jump in and figure it out on the spot. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I would say maybe uh, if you, for example, go for entrepreneur first, um, if you get in, uh, like start as early as possible um, and start as early as possible doing um, maybe not necessarily technical stuff, but um, even just like figuring out the problem space and stuff like that. Like start doing something if you, if you can, mm -hmm. but um, don't be afraid of also just jumping in. Mm -hmm. Actually think that just jumping in will propel you to know these things by itself it's a bit of a balance i know it's i know this answer sucks because i it's what is it exactly that you're trying to recommend but uh either works if you have enough motivation i would mm -hmm. say and uh, what do you think about importance of a business school um not important whatsoever okay okay so, so you yeah you're fine without going uh, to a business school without an mba right yeah. Uh, so the the thing about MBAs, from what I learned from other friends that did MBAs, even at uh, big MBA firms like Insead, etc., like you don't need one for a startup. Um, and what they teach you there are concepts for running like large scale businesses. You know, in a startup, you have such a specific set of challenges that are specific to your markets and uh, and all, and um, don't need to have like you know, these grand scheme of things, uh, kind of overviews or, you know, how to do like a specific business uh, case or a specific thing in a very structured way is much more like um, ship it as soon as possible. That's what you want to do. Okay. Yeah. So it's more about the mindset, right? Yeah, so absolutely. I think there is a book called Ship It. I, I think it's about that. There must be at least one. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, this is how it's called, Ship It. Yeah, I think uh, I heard about it. Yeah. yeah, I haven't read that, but uh, I imagine it's a good one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, we have another question. So what happens if you don't find a co-founder at uh, EF? Well, you're out also. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you have to have a co-founder. You have to have a co-founder when you are in the, in the form phase. So they give you these eight weeks. Just uh, use them correctly. Try to... 
if you go for EF, um, like try to get into a team as soon as possible. Don't like waste your time thinking, is this the right person? Is this not? Is am I blah, blah, blah. Like, um, figure it out like if, let's say get some answers of course don't get to with the first person that you meet but um if you vibe enough just go for it mm-hmm. that's yeah. kind of the startup mentality just just uh-huh. go for it uh-huh. and another another question that uh, we just got is uh, would you recommend to start uh, with ef if you already have a pretty clear idea i think you just said just go for it would you answer that as well uh, and mm, i would actually start with ef even okay. though you have a pre-existing idea uh, i also had a pre-existing idea which is i uh, i actually tried it in the first uh, few weeks of ef uh, with another team right uh, and it, we also figured out that the market may have not been exactly ready or the best kind of market for for that kind of idea Okay. Um, so being in EF will also like teach you uh, how things work in the real world mm-hmm. because sometimes before you, you're stuck in your own uh, bubble, right? So, so for example, when we're working at OLX, you know, we may know a lot about marketplaces and about data science, but not about like, uh, you know, the, all the business side uh, in, in, of things in general, how uh, investors think about who to invest in, et cetera, et cetera. So it will give you that kind of mentality. Okay, we have another question and that will be the last one. So mm-hmm. uh, did you already have a prototype before your pitch? Um, no, we had uh, like a demo of, um, so for the, for the first pitch, so for the super check-in, we had a demo of the computer vision uh, recognition of uh, ripeness uh, on bananas only, and it was web-based. <laughs> so it works with uh, TensorFlow.js. Uh, but then for the forecasting solution, no, we didn't have a demo. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you just basically need to be able to pitch this idea and have this idea very clear, right? So that yeah. investors can already imagine uh, uh, like what are you going to solve, right? Yeah, they, uh, so they want to see like uh, that the market is big enough mm-hmm. uh, and that you can you are the right people for the job. Um, and that, uh, the, yeah, you can find clients and, uh, they, they usually trust you on the tech side Mm -hmm. if you have the credentials for it. Mm -hmm. So they look rather at your CV, they're not going to make a technical interview. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good. So we can uh, maybe (laughs) put a few things more. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's bad advice. Uh, so maybe last one, uh, how do people find you? Oh, sure. Uh, so I'm on Twitter at Paolino. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, so you can just search for my name, Carmine Paolino. Uh, I have a website, which I don't update ever, but it's paolino.me. Um, and uh, then at uh, freshflow.ai. Uh, that's our website of Freshflow. Uh, and if you want to email me, uh, my personal email is uh, carmine at paolino.me. And if you want to email me for work, it's carmine at freshflow.ai. Okay. Thank you very much for joining us today, for sharing your experience with us. And also thanks everyone for watching, for being active, for asking all these questions. And yeah. Thank you so much, Alexi. It was uh, really nice. Yeah, it was really great. Thanks a lot. And uh, have a